Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And, uh, well, we've got a new development here in the Movie Journal. We do, and I, uh, I hope people are okay with it. No, we, um, we have very much planted the seeds, we have said yes, I multiple so. times, <laughs> that we are open to ads on the movie journal we've just never done them before yes. because no one was paying for them exactly but now people are with real american currency um i'm joking of course we only take bitcoin uh this episode is brought to you by mini flicks the premier streaming site for award-winning short films mini flicks acquires award-winning uh, award-winning short films uh that's on me i Put that twice, sorry about that, uh, that have premiered at Cannes, Sundance, uh, TIFF, and uh, many more. So you can see high-profile short films uh, available here that you can't find anywhere else. Uh, Miniflix also offers several Oscar-nominated and Oscar-winning short films unavailable on typical free video platforms, which is actually... On a personal note, I know that uh, like a lot of stuff can be just found on YouTube and Vimeo because mm-hmm. when I was... Sorry, there's a... Per- uh, so it's a little per- se- several time. years ago, I did. Uh, I was one of the judges for the LA Short Film Festival. I remember that, yeah. And um, <clears throat> and so, of course, people just send in their. They have to send just links to their videos, yeah. and then and they're on like YouTube and Vimeo. And I always felt so terrible for these these filmmakers that. In order to, I mean, they could they can do like a privacy password thing, but sometimes that's a hassle. And so the people in charge of the festival are like, "Hey, can you just just not have it be password protected?" And oh. you know, and uh, which was helpful. And sure enough, like when I looked at, it, it's like, oh, three views. Um, those being the other judges. Um, right. But yeah, and so I felt so bad for those for those filmmakers. And so what I've done is when I first heard about Miniflix when they approached us, uh, I actually talked to a, a number of filmmakers that I know that have made short films that I think oh. are very good that have been putting them out for free because that's kind of what is available aside from trying to do the festival route. And uh, it's it's a really nice place to get paid. Mm-hmm. to have your short film and it is uh it can be displayed for people depending on it's a new service uh let's hope it does well they do have a lot of oh now i'm sorry now i'm back uh, onto the copy sorry about that oh. uh so yeah they so i've i myself have had the service uh on my phone for a while uh and then they just redid the the site and they've they have a really good selection of uh, short films, which I'll talk about in a moment. Anyway, uh, so uh, let's see. New films are being added each month, and you can watch these incredible award-winning short films anytime, anywhere, on any streaming device for only three ninety-nine a month. Or, as a Battleship Pretension listener, you can get a free 30-day trial of commercial-free award-winning short films. Just go to... Okay, so there are a couple options here. You can go to miniflix.tv slash battleship. That's miniflix, M-I-N-I-F-L-I-X, dot TV slash battleship. Or there will be a graphic uh, at the bottom of this post at battleshippretension.com. So if you're listening straight from the website, uh, you can just, you'll find a a miniflix uh, ad at the bottom of this post. So either way, we'll get you to where you need to go for your 30-day free trial. Uh, okay, so 
This week, they wanted uh, me to talk about a, a film that was nominated uh, for an Oscar this last year for a live-action short. It's called The Silent Child. Oh, I saw Which this. you saw. Yeah. Uh, directed by Chris Overton. Um, so I, okay, so I have this. Did you like The Silent Child? Uh, it's well made. I mean, I don't um I feel bad saying anything yeah. critical when they're paying us to promote it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a very, it's very much issue driven. That it's, is. It's, yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's more a piece of advocacy than and, anything. Else. And yeah. even as I was reading about it, uh, what I'll say is like, I didn't, it didn't even occur to me as an issue because how could it like, it's, it's so specific. It's, I'll read a little bit of what it's about. Um, the Silent Child follows Libby, a four-year-old deaf girl who finds herself unable to communicate with anyone and misunderstood by her own family as a result. However, Libby's fortunes change when a young and ambitious social worker teaches Libby sign language and unlocks the power of communication and expression. Uh, featuring a mesmerizing performance by six-year-old deaf actress Maisie Sly, The Silent Child is a profound and moving cinematic cry for change uh, in the education, education systems that refuse to consider the needs of the disabled. And so the idea... Um, that like sign language is treated as this completely fringe thing. Whereas, you know, any other language is considered like, well, obviously there's Spanish, French, German, like you, you can take any number of these sign language. Why would we need that? You know, that's for this special school over here or whatever. So it, it sounded very interesting to me. And also, yeah, I'll just say if you were, this should be common sense, but apparently it's not to some people. If you have a kid who is deaf the moment you learn learn that kid is deaf, you, the parent, need to start learning sign language. Yeah, I Again, feel like you have. To. Seems common sense, uh, but apparently it's not. And it's that's actually a big, uh, not a big subplot, but it's a definite subplot in um, Nashville, where uh, Lily Tomlin and Ned Beatty are two parents, uh, parents of two deaf children. Right. She speaks sign language, and he doesn't. He clearly loves his children, but undoubtedly, like there's. There's yeah. a huge barrier between them. Um, yeah. But anyway, so, okay, so The Silent Child is available on Miniflix along with uh, many other films uh, that you can check out. And again, you can get a 30-day free trial. Uh, so you can go, just go to miniflix.tv slash battleship or click on the ad at the bottom of this post at battleshippretension.com. All right, so um, I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to start off with two movies right up top. Okay. Um, some okay stuff, still doing the, uh, uh, Blu-ray spring cleaning. Yeah, I watched a 1968 uh, film called "For Love of Ivy," starring okay. Sidney Poitier. <clears throat> story by Sidney Poitier. Interesting. He didn't write the the screenplay, but uh, he's uh, yeah, his he uh, it's original story by by him. Fun uh, fact: I'm always incredibly suspicious when I hear that. As you know, I don't like it when actors direct, but when it's a, like a story by, yeah. it's like oh boy. Yeah, um, look who's feeling ambitious. But it is it's a it's not great. It's a, but it's a pretty good uh uh movie um that I think there's a certain um I'm sorry. Okay, I'm not even going to pretend we didn't just have to edit there. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, uh yes, original story by Sidney Poitier. I remember what I was saying, which is that there's I guess there's something to be said for um the idea of, and maybe this is just looking at it with a, a current, you know, in our current like social climate, but the idea of a black actor with enough power, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? As yeah. Sidney Poitier, oh, sure. especially at a time when there were fewer uh, black movie stars, um, 
I, I, I was I see what you mean about generally being skeptical of an actor yeah. in this particular case I was intrigued because I was because this is very much or not very much but is yeah actually very much a story that is about race right um, uh, the premise is that there's this uh, rich Long Island family uh, Carol O'Connor plays the patriarch Bo Bridges plays the son I don't know the two actresses who play the um, the the mother and the and the daughter but um yeah, this is apparently, but this is 1968. The landlord is like 1972. So like Bo Bridges as like, like trust fund hippie layabout yeah. is apparently like, that was his niche for a few years there. Um, uh, and he's great. Um, but basically they have a live in maid named Ivy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the first thing the like the movie, I think really get, gets right is not making this family, a, a bunch of people who are racist and take Ivy for a granted. Right. Ivy is a black woman. I should have said. Right. Um, and B, also on the other hand, not making them, you know, proto social justice warriors either. Yeah. They're like generally nice, and they feel gener- genuine affection for Ivy, who has lived with them for almost ten years. Yeah. Um, but they also are kind of clueless in a way because of their, I guess that don't use the word privilege in the movie because I think, I, don't, I mean, that word was, wasn't invented in the past few yeah. years, but it's been part of the, but, but, uh, so anyway, the premise is Ivy is like, I'm going to quit my job and move into the city. I'd need to like be my own person. And the two kids, Bo Bridges and the, and the, the sister, his sister, um, decide, I know what, ha- what's going on here is, Ivy just needs a man in her life. She wants to move to the city because she's not meeting any men out here in Long Island. Um, uh, and, and, and so they're like, well, the, cause their dad, Carol, Connor, Carol, Connor's, Carol O'Connor's character owns a big department store. They're very, they're okay. a very wealthy family. He owns a big department store in New York city. And they're like, Hey, the guy who owns the trucking company that does our, all our deliveries is a black guy, successful black guy. Let's set them up on a date. And so Bo Bridges essentially blackmails Sidney Poitier's character um, by saying like, you know, if you want to keep our business, you will, (laughs) you'll go out on a date with Ivy. Um, and then it gets even more like, um, complicated after that because Sidney Poitier's, Poitier's character is not only is he a very successful, uh, entrepreneur who does run an actual trucking company. The trucking company also serves as a front for his illegal casinos <laughs> that he has in New York city. So he's, right. he's this like, he's also in his own way, very wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, also kind of a criminal, also kind of a cad. And he's a, um, dedicated bachelor, not, I don't mean that as a euphemism for gay man. Right, I mean, right. He is very like. You would have said confirmed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If it were that, yes. Yeah. Um, and so the movie's a bit, you know, it gets it's a bit awkward in the setup, but luckily you've got these good, uh, good actors playing the the family, Carol Connor and Bo Bridges and the other two. Uh, but then it sort of becomes <clears throat> this conversation between um, uh, the two black Americans who are coming from very different points of view, not only economically, but also their values are very different. Mm-hmm. Um, their, their genealogy is very different. He's, um, he's West Indian and she is, you know, 
I guess, you know, descended from American slaves. Yeah. He's a much more recent, I guess, is, is yeah. the idea that I'm saying, a much more recent uh, American. Uh, and so you get these it, it, these conversations about, like, what are you, like, what is, uh, what is expected of us as black Americans? What is expected of us as, you know, a domestic worker or an entrepreneur? What what ought to be expected of us as black Americans? What is it unfair is expected of us as black Americans? It's a really, there's really interesting conversations. Mm -hmm. Narratively, the movie does lose a little steam at this point. I I imagine it is, it is really engaging. I think. And I think the, um, Abby, uh, uh, I had it up here. Um, the woman, I think it's Abby Lincoln who plays Ivy is terrific because there is a version, there's a way of playing this role in which she is just, uh, in which Ivy as a character just exists as uh, as a as a metaphor that or a cipher that is yes each different character projects their own ideas onto Ivy that's the yeah. way, way this could be but she plays her as her own person who is um, very compassionate but also can surprise you with some adventurousness mixed with her sort of traditional values. Uh, it's a really interesting movie and it's more interesting than it is really good. Um, yeah. it's directed by Daniel Mann who made Willard. <laughs> um, uh, what an odd through line of the movies that you've been, uh, <laughs> watching. Yeah, lately. that is, that is weird. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely worth, worth checking out. I like the idea. I mean, I, I can't imagine him as this, as a cad, criminal type character uh so i like the idea of that also so my the fir- my first thought is that oh okay so it's carol o'connor and Sidney poitier so it's like right. all right one of them was in the movie in the heat of the night and the other was in the tv show which i yeah. thought was interesting yeah but also they barely <clears throat> i think they maybe have one scene together oh interesting it's carol o'connor is actually not that big a character in the movie as far okay. as the white characters go it's Beau Bridges and the and the sister I should okay. probably I feel like I'm disrespecting this actress uh, by oh, Maggie Smith damn it uh, Lori Peters is, okay. is her name anyway um, and then next up oh man I watched a movie that is so good okay called uh, it's from 1974 it's called Macon County Line okay uh, and apparently it is a bit of a cult classic or I have heard of it. Maybe cult classic. It's kind of like, well, we talked about Billy Jack recently. Is it one of those independently produced movies that became a flash in the pan success and actually made a ton of money um, in 1974. And they did actually make a, a, uh, a sequel, uh, return to Macon County, which I haven't seen. Um, but speaking of actors writing, uh, the villain, I guess of the movie is Max bear jr. Uh, yeah. from Beverly Hillbillies who yes. wrote the screenplay. Yeah. Um, so basically it's these two brothers who are shipping off to the army or Navy. I can't remember. And they have like two weeks before they have to report. And so they're just just spending two weeks driving around the South, fucking around, getting into trouble, like, you know, dining and dashing at diners, like a lot of like Mm -hmm. petty crime, you know? Yeah. Um, at the beginning, they this which this makes them a little less sympathetic. But they like rob a prostitute at the beginning of the movie. Oh, but boy. they're just like a couple of fuck up, like yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and then they pick up this hitchhiker lady, and then their car breaks down in a small town um, at the same time as two criminals. One of them played by um, 
Oh, he's like a crusty old James Gammon. James Gammon. Yeah. Plays one of the criminals. <laughs> I, uh, I was looking at the cast and you said crusty. I was like, okay, I know yeah. who this is. Um, and then also there's another actor, Jeffrey something. Jeffrey Lewis. Jeffrey Lewis plays yeah. the, uh, the mechanic who works on their car. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have to stay overnight in this town. Meanwhile, these two criminals, Jack Gammon and the twitchy little guy, uh, are committing crimes. And Max Baer, as the, I don't know if he's a sheriff or just a cop. Deputy. He's Okay, deputy. He sees these two hippies hanging out around the, uh, or they're not even really hippies, but it's three, because it, it actually, yeah, I forgot that it takes place in 1954. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe beatniks is what he, I don't know what he thinks sure, they are. Sure, uh, He thinks they're vagrants and these crimes start happening. And so he becomes, he's convinced, well, these boys and this young woman with them are obviously the, the criminals here. Um, but honestly, what I just, what I just mentioned about the plot, that plot part doesn't even really kick in until halfway through the movie. The first half or so of the movie is just these two young men and this woman kind of, it's just an episodic, like the misadventures of these three people driving yeah. around and getting into trouble. And it just has these long conversations. The two actors who play the brothers are actual, actual brothers in real life. Mm. And there's an incredible <laughs> sense of naturalism to the way that conversations unfold in this movie. And like I was already, even before it sort of turned into a bit of a thriller, I was already completely, completely hooked, completely involved Hmm. uh in in the movie and and yeah i mean people who would go on to have character careers like uh like jack gammon and jeffrey what is it lewis james gammon Uh, james James gammon Gammon and and jeffrey Jeffrey lewis Lewis. yeah uh Uh, leaf garrett is in this movie uh yeah very young i assume so yeah yeah um uh but an important part uh i don't want to give that away um and it also takes time for there's a scene in this movie that uh, it, it, so Max Bear Jr. picks up his son from military camp for the weekend, mm-hmm. right? And he sees his son say goodbye to his friends who are black. Hmm. And he has, I think, Max Bear as a writer and as an actor here did a really interesting thing and probably a more truthful and disturbing portrayal of racism than him just being like, we don't associate with their kind. Right. He essentially has like a heart to heart, like a birds and the bees type mm. of his tone toward his son is very compassionate and just like, you know, I'm teaching you how the world works, Yeah. but he's telling him, uh, we think your mother and I believe that white people and black people shouldn't be friends with each other. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like if you didn't speak English, you would think, this is a very sweet scene between yeah, yeah. his father and son, which is what makes it, like I said, all the more insidious yeah. and probably more like more true to the way that racism gets passed down from generation to generation. Of course, we all know Max Baer Jr. from the Beverly Hillbillies, yeah, so know. it's very funny to no, imagine. Yeah, he's great in this movie. Yeah. This is such a cool movie. Macon County Line. Definitely check out uh, that Blu-ray. Both okay. of these are out. Um I really want to say they're both out from Kino Lorber, but I've been watching so many Blu-rays lately. Yeah. Um, Who yeah. knows? Uh, all right, you're up. All right, so I saw Ron Howard's Solo, a Star Wars story, and uh, it's it's really interesting 
to, I didn't read any other reviews. I, you know, some people had seen it like oh, two weeks ago. Um, but I didn't read any other reviews before I wrote mine. And then I did. And, and I, and I read the others and it's just so fascinating when you arrive at the same conclusion as, as everybody else. Like, almost point for point. Like I was reading Matt Zoller Seitz's review and said, yeah, yeah, here it is. Mm-hmm. Everyone, you can, you can sum up the general consensus with it's perfectly fun, uh-huh. you know, uh, which is true. It's fun. It's a fun movie. It's, it doesn't necessarily feel perfunctory, but it doesn't feel completely original or vital either. Um, the cast is all really good. Uh, one point of uh, divergence, whatever, uh, between Mad Zoller Sites and myself is that I think Donald Glover does a good job, mm-hmm. but there there are moments where he's really doing great work, but the rest of the time he's clearly trying to channel like Billy D. Williams and a certain type of smoothness. And, you know, on one hand you feel like, okay, well maybe he's playing the character as a guy who's trying to appear suave but isn't. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, but that's not really who Lando was, uh, as played by Billy D Williams. And so I don't know. It just, it seems at times like a, a very affected performance. Um, but it's still fun. I, it doesn't necessarily bother me. Um, I think, uh, Alden Ehrenreich does a good job. He's not trying to really emulate Harrison Ford, which I think is a good call. Probably. Yeah. Um, good action all around. It's, it's it's perfectly fine. I can't really think of anything I don't like about it, except that it, God forbid, anything that we don't know about Han Solo go unaddressed. So anything that we know about Han Solo go unaddressed. Like, whether it be, okay, we see him meet Chewie, we see him get his blaster, we see him meet, uh, meet Lando, we see him do the Kessel Run, uh, really? Yeah. And then, uh, and get the millennium Falcon. Like, and there are others and it's just like, you know, you don't have, first off, you could allow yourself some room for a sequel, like another Han Solo story and it would be fine. Um, but we didn't need to see the Kessel run. <laughs> like, but that's the, it's the whole thing. It's the whole, I don't feel like it is. I, I know. I don't either. It's, <laughs> it's just, it's, and it's I also could have, I like, I could have handled, him and Chewie already being friends. <laughs> That's the, the most said. effective part though. Actually, oh, okay. um, it, it really is. Lando feels a little bit shoehorned in, but of course, since Lando is associated with the millennium Falcon, like you have mm-hmm. to include him, but it's almost like they didn't really know what to do with him once he was there, except he, he provides some, some nice, you know, some color to the, to the, I don't necessarily mean it that way, but just, <laughs> you, you know, um, to the story, but he does provide that as well. <laughs> yeah, it's, sure. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, and, and after a while, like every time something comes up, you're like, Oh geez, really this too? Like y- you just have to have everything in there. Um, <clears throat> so it's, uh, but you know, Woody Harrelson is in it and he's a lot of fun. Paul Bettany is in it. He's a lot of fun. Um, and it's just, it's not a, it, it's not a bad movie at all. It is, you know, the word, I, I keep saying the word fun. That's what it is. And there's nothing wrong with a movie just being fun. Um, but it doesn't feel remarkably ambitious, uh, either. It feels like, it feels like it aimed to be a three-star movie and it achieved that. Well done. Oh, so 
uh, it kind of feels like a Ron Howard movie. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I hate to put it that yeah, way. With some exceptions, but yeah. That's... Yeah. Apparently, I need to see Rush. I, I've heard great things about Rush. Rush. Uh, and then, of course, I love Apollo 13. But, yeah, Apollo but 13. yes, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say it, but like if Lord Miller had been allowed to finish this movie, it, it, I'd be fascinated to know how it turned out. Yeah. Cause I, one thing it might not fit tonally with the larger, uh, franchise. This one does a little bit more, but it would be its own thing and it would be exciting in that regard. But you know, it's if, if anybody said, is it worth watching? I'd say sure, but don't expect to remember it five seconds. I, I cursed myself for waiting a day to write my review because which <laughs> yeah. I, which I usually That's try right. to do, but yeah. this one it's like, wow, it's weird that something with this much action faded from memory so fast. Um, there's yeah. some good sequences though. You know, it's, it's sorry. I'm just looking up Ron Howard's directorial filmography. Okay. And, um, trying to figure cause I think Apollo 13 is probably the best, but I also like ransom. Yeah. I like parenthood. And I really like Cocoon. Uh, uh, I have not seen Cocoon since I was uh, young. Um, it holds d- up except for the part where Donamichi breaks. Of course, that's the part of that course. doesn't hold up. Um, but hey, the Academy saw that and said, "Give that man a Best Supporting Actor yeah. Oscar." Yeah, um, I like Frost Nixon. You know, it's yeah, he's a, he's a solid filmmaker. He also did Splash, which I only like when John Candy is on screen. <laughs> wow, I'd say that's <laughs> it's about true of a lot of yeah. movies. All um, right, um, so yeah, it's. I feel so bad. Like it's a film that if I talk about it negatively for too long, I feel bad because it's not that, but I don't want to be too over the moon about it either. It is middle of the road leaning. Nice. Okay. Um, I I'll do two more. The first one, I'm not going to spend much time on. I watched a movie that came out earlier this year called forever. My girl. Um, okay. uh, I'm kind of, you know, trying to keep up on, uh, as I've said before on the movie journal this year, trying to keep up on female directed, uh, mm-hmm. movies. Um, and forever my girl, uh, you'd be interested, I guess, because it's clearly, it's not a Christian film, but it is clearly aimed at that audience. Interesting. When did it come out? Uh, it came out just a couple months ago. Oh, okay. Um, maybe February. Uh, but also not like, I wonder if like, cause it's clearly family friendly, but the, so the premise is that this guy and this girl, they're high school sweethearts. They're about to get married, but he also is blowing up as a country music star. And so he leaves her at her wedding, goes, leaves, leaves their wedding, like never shows up to the wedding, goes off to be a star, never talks to her or his dad or anyone from the town again. Eight years later, a friend of his has passed away, comes back in town for the funeral, finds out, Oh, it turns out I have a daughter. Okay. Yes. Which uh, that, I wonder, like, clearly, I mean, there's a lot, his dad is, um, the town, like the pastor, mm-hmm. but to me, I want like the fact that the movie is clearly saying he and his wife had premarital sex and there's no, that's not, the movie doesn't like say that there's anything that doesn't really address that. Yeah. Would that be a problem for a Christian audience? Um, I don't, it's hard to know. Um, just when I start to think, no, <laughs> right. um, it's, I don't know. I can't, I couldn't speculate without seeing the, the context, you know? Okay. Like if it's very much a, a thing that like, Hey, this happened in the past. Uh, right. and it's, it, what are you going to do? You know? Yeah. I think that's kind of what it is, but I just wonder if it, would, and, if it yeah. would need to be addressed as, a, as 
but it's not addressed at all. I, I don't. Yeah, okay. I don't think so. Um, but the movie is just, it's so sloppily written. I would like to think that even the, even the person who only sees a few movies a year would be aware of the narrative laziness and shortcuts this movie okay. is is making well, like you can just you can just works. feel every beat coming you know like oh she's gonna make him earn his way back into her trust and then they're gonna start to fall in love again and he's gonna bond with the daughter and then there's oh, going to be a, gonna, a misunderstanding <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and then he's gonna, it's gonna take her away for a while he's gonna go you know learn karate or whatever. Yeah, really. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but in that, if it were that kind of <laughs> yeah. movie, um, and then it come back but, and, and, but it's just, uh, it's so lazy and also way too willing to, I think in the, in the, in the, in the mold of too many chintzy romance movies, way too willing to just say these two were in love and meant to be together because we say so. And therefore, any actual character growth, especially on his part. I mean, he's the one who would acted selfishly and left and didn't yeah. call for eight years. Yeah. Like you would kind of need him to do a little bit more work than just like, you know, create some inside jokes with the daughter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, and the movie is just like, no, no, they're in love. So it just papers over all that. It's, it's real lazy. So listen to this. So I was looking up the writer director, Bethany Ashton Wolf. Uh-huh. Uh, and the first thing I see here is in her uh, biography, it says she began her career in the indie world of filmmaking, co-writing the controversial short Don's plum, uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire, the film that you will never see uh, yeah. because apparently it's so horrendous. Uh, yeah. I've never wanted to see it. Yeah, of course not. But, yeah, it's, but it I'm, is the, yeah, the, the, the genesis of the pussy posse, the much yeah. discussed pussy posse here on Battleship Pretension. Ooh. <laughs> How's that spelled, disgust? <laughs> eh? Eh? I like it. All right. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, okay, and then next up, though, I watched the movie <clears throat> that is so crazy. This is another Blu ray spring cleaning. I'm going to get all these reviews out at some point. I watched a movie from 1988 called Shakedown. Um, it's directed by James Glickenhouse, uh, who made like the exterminator. Oh, okay. Um, but shakedown stars Peter Weller. His oh, follow up okay. to RoboCop yep. as a, um, public defender. And it stars, uh, Sam Elliott as the plainclothes detective. Who's his like friend and kind of man on the, on the yeah. force. And, um, Peter Weller has to defend a uh, crack dealer who has killed a cop, but the crack dealer saying this cop was not on duty, did not announce it was a cop. He was trying to rip me off because he was a corrupt cop. I killed him in Mm self-defense, which leads to Peter Weller and Sam Elliott uncovering this whole ring in the New York City Police Department of cops essentially robbing drug dealers and turning around and selling the drugs to the big drug dealers themselves. Yeah. Uh, it's got a good cat. I, I mentioned Peter Weller and, um, and Sam Elliott. Obviously you've also got, um, the, the person he's, um, defending is, uh, played by, uh, an actor named, um, Richard Brooks, I think okay. is his name who I, you won't know this cause you didn't watch Firefly, but he's, um, 
in the final, anyone who's watched Firefly knows the character Jubal early from the final episode of, of, uh, of Firefly from the, from the series finale. It's a very memorable character, very well played. Um, you've also got, um, uh, Patrice Charbonneau, who was, ju- or is it Patricia Charbonneau? Patricia, maybe Charbonneau, who's in, I say just, she's in Desert Hearts, which was someone recently put out by mm. the Criterion Collection, which is a great movie. Uh, and you've got some other, um, Vondi Curtis Hall shows up for. Nice. Uh, but clearly, like, not famous yet, because he's in one scene. Mm. There's also, apparently, I'd have to go back and, like, you know, frame by frame through it, but apparently there's a young Harold Perrineau in the movie, but oh, I, I did not catch, catch it. Um, but here's what's insane about the movie is that it's a way over the top, like in terms of being like a hard boiled gritty, you know, you know, street movie and a lot of great, like New York city location photography, but there's like, just like a part where they're literally like kicking crack vials out of the way. Um, and that's okay. I'm going to put a pin in that and come back. I, I'm going to say the negative thing about this movie is that it is the absolute height of uh, racist depictions of black people, especially, you know, particularly late eighties. Uh, yeah. I was about to say, and yeah, every, every black character in the movie, as far as I can remember, except for maybe one like bailiff at the courthouse is either a crack addict or a crack dealer, or they are there as a threat to white criminals saying, if we're going to, you know, if you don't talk, we're going to send you to get j- to jail and you're going to get raped by a black man. <laughs> oh. Verge, two different, ver- completely different versions of that threat <laughs> are made against white criminals in the movie. Um, so it is, I, I definitely had like any recommendation of this movie as much fun as it is for most of the time has to come with a big, huge red asterisk because uh, it is uncomfortable. There uh, is something it, about like, cop movies of the eighties. Well, yeah, there's and even movies. I think this is, there are certain movies that are like trying to, I think be like hard hitting and gritty and like realistic, right. but they're coming from a white point of view and their idea of realism. And I feel like colors is a movie that is very similar yeah. to me in that way. And in being a movie that was praised at the time that it came out for being like, Oh, this is a real like no. hard hitting depiction of the streets. It's like, yeah, from, the point of view of like a shit kicker cop, like yeah. Robert Duvall's character. Um, anyway. All right. So that aside, it's this gritty, this gritty look at the, you know, drug infested New York city that every 20 to 30 minutes breaks out in a completely ridiculous, insane action sequence. Okay. But yeah, it like it becomes a different movie at, at a certain point where it becomes like a diehard or like a, like a, um, uh, commando commando. Yeah. Like, let me describe one. First off, they're going to Weller and Elliot are going to interview a, a snitch, right? Okay. But the crack dealers henchman has gotten to the snitch first. He's staying at one of those like times square motels that has a big neon sign. Mm-hmm. So the, the henchman reaches into the wall, pulls out the electrical cables that light the outside sign and fries the guy alive. Right. <laughs> Why wouldn't the, the guy who grabbed them get electrocuted? Yeah. I don't know. All He's right. wearing rubber gloves. That, okay. Yeah. Fries the guy alive. So Peter Weller and Timmy show up and this guy, just this guy's like making his getaway. They're up in the room. He's down the street. 
the and and other cops like the the uh beat cops or whatever mm-hmm. you know officers <laughs> show up and they're like freeze hands in the air and so this guy the henchman is like whatever you say officer and puts up his hands and then shoots knives out of his sleeves <laughs> And then opens up his coat and he's got like a machine gun like strapped to him. That's like on a hinge. So he like pulls up this machine gun, kills like 14 civilians. <laughs> and then Sam Elliott like grabs a light pole and swings like out of the this hotel onto the top of a bus. And then he pulls and then he like a moving bus. Uh, no, a bus okay, that stopped. Right. and then he jumps off the bus and there's like a bunch of bikers. And he's like, I'm taking your bike. And at this point, Peter Weller has already come down uh, downstairs. So Peter Weller's like, you drive, I'll shoot. So Peter Weller gets on the back of the motorcycle. And then they take it. Peter Weller was like a public defender. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. There's one line where Sam Elliott hands him a gun and he's like, do you know how to use this? And Peter Weller says, fucking A, I'm a New Yorker. Um, and so they chase this guy through the streets. He's in a stolen cop car at this point, the hench- the henchman, and they're on a motorcycle and they're like shooting it. And then he, they plow through a homeless encampment, knocking over like lean tos and stuff like that. And then finally, like they go over the edge of this like unfinished overpass. Right. But Pierrello jumps off and Sam Elliott managed to hang on. So he's hanging there. His motorcycle and the cop car have like crashed on the ground. The guy, the henchman, like he's like, oh, like drags himself out of the car and Sam Elliott doesn't shoot the henchman. He shoots both the gas tank of the motorcycle and the cop car containing, uh, 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 creating a chain reaction explosion that engulfs the henchman. And then it's like, and then the next scene it's like, Peter Weller's like, oh, I gotta be in court tomorrow morning. Like it's, <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> That's just, I the- would love, wouldn't you love if there were a movie like this and the first, 20 minutes are what you just described like this crazy action movie but it's actually just a movie about somebody dealing with like ptsd like like one of the cops just dealing with the the emotional ramifications of what just happened instead of well i gotta be in court tomorrow yeah um yeah yeah also that uh, that motorcycle was not his to shoot is it <laughs> right you yeah, know no, it's, it's he, he does not play by the rules oh man and by the way yeah i watched like now what kind of canon would you say he is <laughs> he's he could be tighter okay <laughs> <laughs> um all right that's my two movies what's next for okay you? next for me here we go all right, this is a movie that I'm reluctant to even talk about, which I feel like should uh, say something. Uh, and that is Cassie J's The Red Pill, which is a, a film that I don't remember. I'd heard of it before, and I'd heard that it was controversial, but that was it. I didn't see it. I wasn't that interested. Um, and then I ran across a TED Talk, uh, a little 15-minute thing that she did. And I really liked what she had to say, where essentially she was uh, a woman who identified herself as uh, a feminist. She had made a number of documentaries uh, about like women's reproductive rights and uh, various other things and uh, was involved in, in, you know, feminist protests and all that. And one thing that she had come to discover is how much she hated the idea of like the men's rights movement. You know, Mm -hmm. she went to one website after another and saw all kinds of just vile, disgusting vomit. Uh, And she's like, I know what I'm going to do for my next film is I'm going to make a film, uh, a documentary about this horrendous thing that is gaining traction. That was Mm -hmm. the big thing for her. Um, And so she spent a long time like interviewing some members of, of the movement and, 
and then also people that are, are viewed as sort of the leaders or the guys that started the movement. And it's interesting uh, because she also incorporates video diaries of herself during the whole process, kind of giving her opinion on things. Um, and I'm glad I watched the TED Talk first because that's her talking in retrospect uh, about the larger experience of making the film and putting it out there. And so, uh, and I recognize that for a number of reasons, not the least of which are those horrendous websites that I just mentioned. Um, you know, when some, when you hear men's rights activists, you have a very clear idea of what that yeah. means. Yeah. Um, and as you watch this, here's where, the, first off, I'll address this. Here's where the film needs to be better. I say needs to, as though she's going to recut it to my knowledge. She's not going to, <laughs> um, but, uh, where it starts, which is the idea of rape culture, the idea of, you know, these, this, her, these terrible things that are said and the genuine misogyny, um, it starts there and then she finds that, well, no, it's actually not about that. It certainly didn't start that way. And it's like, okay, but you still, but it is about that now, isn't that what you're saying? I mean, there are still, that's the thing is there's still sincere guys who are like, Hey, maybe let's talk about the court, the family court system, you know, stuff like Do that. You know, just like to, that's one hand not to okay. interrupt. Okay. But it's, I'm glad you mentioned the family court system because, uh, there's politically, there's very little that you and my wife have in, have in common. Okay. You, my wife is the furthest left person that I know. Okay. And you, you're probably the furthest right person that I know well, but just not saying they, much because yeah. you're not very, yeah. you're, you know, uh, I'm, f- yeah. yeah. All right. But, um, both of you years ago when I first was, was, I said to both of you separately, mm-hmm. you know, have you heard about the men's rights, the MRA movement? Yeah. Uh, and here's what it is and here's what it's based on. Uh, both weirdly, you both have the same reaction, which is that, you know, there are actual men's rights issues when it comes yeah. to court and custody. Cause my mom yeah. is a social worker and she sees this and she, yeah. and so both of you had the same reaction of like, it's fucked up that so much of this is about, you know, women denying men sex and having all the real power when there are yeah. actual issues where men who are the more fitting parent are yeah. not given custody. Uh, anyway, and it was funny. It's just, I just, I, you brought it up. I wasn't going to mention anything, but just, it was, yeah. it's very funny to me. It's maybe the only thing in the world politically that you and my wife would have the same reaction to. Well, we should sit down and talk about things. <laughs> I'll bet, I'll bet we'd surprise you, David. Um, I mean, I remember Natalie the other, other day was talking about how much she doesn't like the idea of a minimum wage. Anyway, the point is, um, <laughs> and I said, you're a little too right for me. Uh, so, <clears throat> but that's the thing. It's like, it's, it's like, Imagine if Westboro Baptist went super mainstream uh-huh. and that becomes the image of Christianity. Yeah. It's like, well, I've got bad are, news to you. To a lot of us, it is which sure, is probably sure. unfair, but to um, a lot of us, that's what we think. Of. Yeah. Which is, which, okay, well let's put it this way. That's what you think of. Yeah. M- meanwhile, I'm trying to do something over here that is at least more sincere. Right. And I, and I wish that she had gone back to it and I wish that she had asked the sincere adherence to like the the guys that are actually trying to do something, uh, and the women that are actually trying to do something. That's the other thing, uh, about like, how do you think it arrived here? Hmm. Um, I think that's what's missing. I think the film right now it's, it's fairly long already. I feel like, you know, you just get 10 more minutes in there and I think you're good. I think, I think it at least acknowledges that 
it, it this is where it started. It's what it is for still a number of people, but for everyone else, it's not that. But and that's the thing is and and I do think that hmm. there's probably some simplification of of some of the issues in order to to sell them a little bit. Um, but do you think this is to get off topic a little bit? But going back to the Christian thing, do you think that someone like you in your position as a Christian mm-hmm. uh, should be asked or should have a resp- uh, a response ready to something like the Westboro Baptist church or to people who like murder abortion doctors or something yeah, like that. I have been asked many <laughs> times and I do have a response. But do, I, I guess I'm thinking, I, I'm reminded of like the, um, the pilot episode of the West wing has the thing about, uh, where, where there's the, I can't remember what the issue is, but there's representatives of the Christian right at the white house. Yes. And, and I don't uh, remember what it is though. Uh, but Bartlett says something about like, um, one of them in particular, he, he, he basically calls him out for remaining silent on this abortion doctor who was murdered. Right, right. And so I guess what I'm saying is not only should they have an, have an answer, but is it, um, should we expect the, you know, silent majority of respectful, compassionate no. Christians or Muslims or men's rights activists. Yeah. Should we expect them to make a, to speak out, to make a public declaration against the things that are done in the name of their cause? I would say officially no, but this is the real world and people are going to associate that. And so if you don't have an answer ready, you're naive. Mm -hmm. I hate to put it that way. I mean, I wish that I didn't have to constantly distance myself from, from certain people, but you know, you have to, uh, and because you can try and live a certain way, you can try to say certain things, but in the end people are like, yeah, but you are like at the core of what you're saying, you seem to have something in common with this person who's saying much worse things. So like, please tell me that you are not that. And that's ultimately what that's, that's a big part of what the documentary becomes. It certainly doesn't Mm -hmm. start that way. Um, and there's just stuff that, Look, I recognize that there's the idea of of male privilege, and I'd say that in many cases it is probably true. But you know, one thing that it explores is one th- one thing that one of the reasons I'd say that that Natalie and I both went to the family court thing is because that's kind of quantifiable. Yeah, the other stuff is just kind of cultural. Women and children first. Okay, so what's the la- what's the next part of that? Which is men last, and like. But here's the thing. But it's women and children first in a patronizing way. It's women and children first because exactly. saying they are. Right. Yeah. There's no question about that. Like it's, you know, they, they do talk about the, the patriarchy, like it hurts everyone, mm-hmm. but we usually only talk about women and I, like, at least I, I, yeah, I, in I guess my experience, you and I are on different Twitters. <laughs> I guess that's true. And, and honestly at school, like that's what I ran across. Um, and so but like one guy spends a lot of time talking about how like for years, for, for centuries, like we, the like male lives are just, we're just told that we are less valuable that of course we're important, but when it comes right down to it, if it's about death, we have to die. That's our job. Our job is to I, die. See, I, I, that's funny because I never even as a kid thought of that as being less valuable. It was just more noble. It's right, but why is one person? Why is one entire gender expected to be noble? Because in that regard, a, because we 
place ourselves as the caretakers of the other gender, which is condescending. Do we place ourselves that well, way? I mean, I think that's what that kind of thinking, yeah. that's where it comes from. Yeah. And, and it explores that as well. That's one of, one of the things I do like about it is there's definitely, she, by talk, I was about to say, use the term rabbit hole. Well, of course, red pill comes from the matrix, which references the rabbit hole. Right, right, so it right. very much talks about how like the more you ask about this stuff, the more, the further down the hole you go. And I think it does come from this idea of patriarchy, but like I was watching, there are a number of, of like, uh, women that I, who have like YouTube channels or, or they give speeches and I forget who it was for the life of me, but she was giving a speech, uh, like last year in which she was talking about male privilege. And she said, you know, we can't just say that everything is privilege. We can't be offended at the fact that men are by and large taller. We can't be offended that by and large men are physically stronger. We can be annoyed by that. <laughs> we can be very irritated that men don't have to go through childbirth. She's like, it bothers me. Uh, but we can't be offended at that. Well, at I would say women don't have to go through childbirth. <laughs> well, that's true. That, but look, if someone has to, right. look, if, if, a gun, if a gun is to our head and someone has to, it's them. <laughs> and she's not thrilled with that. But as she's saying this, she's saying like, it's silly to be offended by something that neither party has any control over, at which point several, if you'll pardon me, SJW stood up and very obviously walked out and one of them uh, sabotaged the sound equipment. Like, and it's just one of those things that like, she, she literally hadn't even said anything yet. Yeah. And already like people were annoyed. And in the same way, like you see a lot of, you see a lot of footage of, of just the way you know, th th there's a really, it's a very, it's comically sad. There's this like a big, uh, like rally, but it's sort of an impromptu rally, uh, in mm -hmm. Canada and it's, it's a men's rights rally. And you hear the guys say like, you know, we've never seen a turnout like this. There's maybe like a hundred guys there. Uh, but it's enough for other people to yell like, fuck you guys. You guys are supremacists. You're all of this sort of thing. Meanwhile, the guys are talking about like, Hey, I, if a guy wants to, if a guy gets divorced, I don't think it's terrible that his kids want to see him or that he wants to see his kids and like very, very simple things like that. But they are, but literally like they're being, they get spit on. It's like, but do fuck they you. Yeah. But I mean, do they talk about the myth of male power at that book? Yeah, they the do movie? at length. Cause, Cause that's, I mean, I don't know that. I mean, I see what you're saying, mm -hmm. but I also don't know that you can blame people for making the assumption at this point that someone who is showing up to an MRA rally is one of those guys. At this point, uh, I agree. Um, but at the same time, I'm fine to blame everybody for everything. Um, <laughs> because when it comes right down to it, like I recognize there is such a thing as groupthink, um, but it's, it's just, it's so bothersome. I don't like when anybody is yelling over anybody else. Uh, especially when like, when it comes right down to it, a lot of the stuff that is said in the documentary is something that I think anybody would relate to, even if I think that it is probably oversimplified and I would like her to, uh, to have address like once she starts sympathizing with these guys, it's almost like the other stuff goes away. It's like, but it hasn't gone away. Right. Right. And I want you to talk about that. Um, but in her, but I would recommend people see the Ted talk. It's really interesting because in that she talks about, 
the people like she used to be part of certain very liberal communities. And then she put out this film that some people said should be banned in certain theaters, uh, and were protested. And she said a quote that I really liked that I texted to myself. When you humanize your enemies, you may in turn be dehumanized by your community. And I feel like that's probably true, uh, of any community. Um, I certainly know it's, I've mentioned the term rhino before, Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it goes, it can go even much, much darker than that. Um, but it's, it's, here's what I'll say is I don't think it's a perfect documentary. I think it, it winds up being like so many other like cultural commentary documentaries where I think they find a through line and they settle for less artistically. It happens all the time. It's everything about it just begs to be straight to Netflix. I hate to put it that way because Netflix puts out good stuff too, but you know what I mean when I say Mm -hmm. that. Um, but, uh, but I, but I found it on Hulu. I'd say, give it a watch and then just don't like the stuff you don't like. I don't like the stuff I like, but at the same time it can make you more aware of, of other things. And at the very least, just be like, that eh, is unfortunate. That suicide thing, you know, like the eighty percent of suicides and yeah, all that that's. Kind of thing. I mean, that's um, when people talk about. Sometimes, here's where I uh, um, sometimes have a problem with my community. Okay, right of like the online liberals is that sometimes we we come up with shorthand for things that we all understand, sure. and we only use the shorthand. And we don't do anything to address the fact that people don't necessarily know what we're saying. I think every so like, community does. That. Okay. Well, I, I guess I just noticed it. Like, okay. I mean, you mentioned rape culture before. Like, I think that's a real thing, but I also mm-hmm. think just us all just saying, yes, yes. Rape culture is right. not doing anything to educate people about what we mean by that. Yeah. And it's, so with the suicide thing, a similar one is the, is the term toxic masculinity. Sure. Which I think people who, uh, don't want to agree about the uh, uh, with with liberals here. The term toxic masculinity as a way of us saying like being male is toxic. Mm-hmm. When what toxic masculinity refers to is the the way that we culturally for generations and centuries have defined maleness through right. a limited. Uh, um, display like a limited amount of emotions that are acceptable, yeah. you know, that anger is seen as more acceptable as a male emotion right. than, than sadness yeah. <coughs> or thinking puppies are cute yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, the stage work of David Mammon is in other <laughs> right. words, what you're talking so about. So that's like, I feel like the suicide thing very much turned, it very much ties into toxic right. masculinity, but I do wish that my community could make it do a, make a better effort of being understood what we, I honestly uh, wish there was a better term for it. Like talk it's, it's almost like when someone says radical Islam, it's like they, when they say it, they're focusing on the radical part, but everybody thinks that that qualifier is itself meant to be, uh, uh you know, the the it meant to be a uh, like a modifier which it is but meant to like completely cancel out or color the other thing yeah you're right, right, the, right right so i feel like i wish that it were called something else like chauvinism i feel like isn't quite enough because that's a very specific type of thing machismo i think is not enough like i feel like there just yeah. needs to be another word but um, I, do, I mean i do think the idea of toxicity does describe the thing we're talking about that it sort of takes root yeah. early in a, in a boy and 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 grows and infects 
their entire psyche. The da- I agree. Uh, and it definitely happens in the church uh, a lot. Uh, what I will say is that I think it would have more impact if I didn't hear the word toxic so often now. Oh, sure. In yeah. regards to so many things. Yeah. Um, There's so many words. I never want to hear garbage again. Garbage. Uh, yeah. Right. I never want like I, this one's old at this point, but I still hear it. Like saying the word murder instead of kill for humor. It's, it's a thing that we've said so before. played out. Meanwhile, like uh, this is several years ago, but, um, I remember, uh, Kyle Kinane was talking in his standup special, uh, or his first CD. He was talking about his own body <clears throat> and he says, you know, I've got decent shoulders. The rest of it is a real, uh, a real bag of garbage, uh-huh. a real pile of trash. Uh-huh. And it's like, okay, he said both, but I do honestly think sometimes like, yeah, like kill instead of murder. It's like kill. Yeah. Who cares? But like it, trash, uh-huh. I don't know. There's just, I feel like that's a perfectly fine word to use. I say we all pivot to refuse. Oh, nice. Okay. It's tough because then people like refuse. What does that mean? Right. How does that work? Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, it's not a great documentary. I'm happy I watched it because it just, it got me thinking about certain things. 108 minutes. Yeah. Feels longer than I would want. And movies and documentaries like that usually feel like, Hey, a hundred minutes at the most. But like I said, I feel like it could be longer. I like everything that's in there. I don't know if I would take anything out. I think this other stuff should be added either at the tail end or just kind of scattered throughout. I don't know. But anyway, I'm happy I watched it. Uh, One last one for me. This came from our summer movie preview. Uh, This is uh, from Bloomhouse Tilt. Okay. The even smaller version of Bloomhouse. Which is saying Uh, something. Except this one, uh, it either has a decent budget or... I mean, I would definitely say it has a decent budget, and also probably they had some visual effects people who know what they're doing. Okay. This movie's called Upgrade. It's directed by one L Wanel. I'm not sure how you say that. Um, and it takes place in the near future, where sort of everything is automated. Mm. Uh, but um, uh, the poor man's Tom Hardy. What's his name? Um, oh, is it the guy from Prometheus? Yeah, from Prometheus. Okay. Exactly. Um, <laughs> It's a three three name thing. Yeah. And suddenly my internet, uh, or I should say your internet, uh, is not working yet. Don't you put this <laughs> on me? It's not my fault. <laughs> um, anyway, is it like Marshall Logan Green or let's say it's that Logan Marshall Green, maybe something like that. Anyway, so he plays a guy who's uh, he's old fashioned. He likes working on cars. He doesn't have all the stuff uh, hooked up. But then he becomes paralyzed in this sort of like. Um, uh, Jared Leto in Blade Runner 2049 type of type of character, yeah. like the the uh, Logan uh, Marshall Green. Logan Marshall Green, yeah. The like, you know, the Jared. So the, it's the uh, effeminate fashion victim version of Elon Musk. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. yes. Um, is he blind in Blade Runner? Uh, yeah, I think he is. Actually. I think he is. Okay. Um, here he's not blind. He's blonde. Um, Watch out. Anyway, he's developed this new technology that he's like. You know, the government makes, makes me want to jump through all these hoops to get it tested. Let's, I'm going to have you sign an NDA and I'll test it out on you. And so he puts this thing at the top of his spine and suddenly not only can, uh, can he walk again, but he's actually capable of all kinds of stuff. And this thing starts talking to him in his head mm. and he can sort of like, if need be in a dangerous situation, he can kind of like sign over control to the computer uh, and it can take care of him, which reminded me, it reminded me very much 
Now, this character's straight, but it reminded me very much of Midnighter, the DC Comics oh, I don't, character. I don't who know. started as part of, uh, I guess, from the Stormwatch comic and Authority. Um, but Midnighter's thing is that he, uh, he was a human who was given enhancements that uh, specifically have to do with combat, that basically he's... Like, you know how... Uh, Domino's thing in Deadpool or in X Force or whatever is that she can like see all the uh, possibilities. Midnighter is like that, but specifically for fighting. Okay. Midnighter can basically never lose a fight because he can, in a a nanosecond, Mm. uh, determine exactly the right way, like the right move to make the right. Okay. uh, Midnighter is a really cool character, (laughs) I have to say. Okay. Um, And he was one of the first. uh, major comics to be comic characters like superheroes mm. to be openly gay. Um, but Logan Marshall Green's character is not gay. In fact, I would say depressingly not so uh, in the sense that uh, the movie relies on some unfortunate uh, fridging tropes. Do you know the term fridging? I just heard it. Yeah. Hang on. It's a comic, also a comics related thing, but it, yes, it re- I heard it in regards to Deadpool too. Is, yeah. Cause it refers yeah. to the idea of basically a female character whose only real purpose is to get murdered as motivation for the male lead. Yeah. Uh, and it, yeah. It, uh, anyway, um, it comes from a comic where the hero's girlfriend was murdered and then stuffed in the fridge for him to find, which is yeah. pretty horrific. That's, that's not great. Um, so anyway, uh, this movie starts off with some fridging. I feel like that's not a big spoiler cause it's a right at the beginning and B it's also right at the beginning of the trailer. Um, real quick side note. When I when I read the article about the fridging in in Deadpool, and I agree, I think that's what it is. Which is frustrating because the char- the girlfriend character is like really great. Um, spoilers for the first five minutes. Um, yeah. But uh, it got me thinking that like I thought of two two reverse examples in horror movies, and I made me wonder if there are others. Scream. The, oh, right? Scream. Yeah. But I mean, only but, in, only in the short film at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's say Scream, The Descent. Oh, right, yeah. And the Babadook. Um, yeah, although the Babadook, I don't know if it technically counts because the character's like already dead when the movie starts, right? Or is there a... I, I uh, saw it once. I, no, we, he, I believe he's dead when the movie starts, but I think we yeah. see like little flashbacks. Okay. But the idea is his death it, it starts everything off. Yeah. Um, yeah, and if it were, you know, if it happened both ways more often, maybe it would be less of a, uh, of, a, uh, of a problem for people. It just makes me wonder, like, if there are more instances of that in horror, and I wish that I knew more about horror. Because but horror I has the final girl trope. Exactly. So it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, sorry, I interrupted. Okay, so uh, basically this is like a, this movie is like a version of The Crow or whatever mixed with, uh, high high concept sci-fi mixed with the superpowers of Midnighter. Yeah. <laughs> and so Logan Marshall Green, or whatever the order is, um, basically just uses this fight computer, to use the Midnighter term, in his brain to go around getting revenge on the people who, okay. uh, who, who killed his wife. And it's sort of, as I will say, as a narrative, it is not, anything you haven't seen it has it has some twists i'm not technically the kind of person who is not not generally the kind of person who is looking for twists so i didn't see it coming but it also wasn't pretty surprising if you are the type of person who looks for twists in movies you'll see this one coming it's not okay uh, it's not huge but it's also it doesn't really detract really this movie is just about 
it's really it has some decent production design and just some really cool fight sequences yeah. where so it's the, not a horror movie it's a no yeah it's, it's an, an action, action movie. sci-fi okay. action movie okay. yeah um, i mean it gets pretty gory at times so it has sure. horror like that but i think Wynell does a really cool thing with the camera during the fight scene. It's cool in two ways in that it, a, it just looks cool and B um, that it actually sort of reflects the character's mindset, which he does. Uh, you know, the thing like in um, it's used a couple of times in 25th hour where the camera is clearly attached to the person. Yes. So while they're walking, yeah. their face is constantly exactly in the same part of the frame, no matter what, by the way, I've, Spike Lee does that a lot. Uh, I okay. think of it mostly in 25th Hour, but, but he does Malcolm it in X too. And yeah. Inside Man, like he does it yeah, quite I never a bit. Saw Inside Man. It's not that good. Um, so I don't know. I'm not sure what kind of like uh, technology he used, but he uses like a very high tech version of that, where sometimes it's an entire body that he's clearly. I don't know if he's doing in a post or whatever. Mm. But like during these, not during the entire fight, but it, it keeps cutting back to these shots within the fight where his body is doing these amazing things blocking shots picking up whatever he has to use as a weapon but the thing is just locked the camera's just locked on him and sort of so it's sort of like i guess getting to his feeling as mm-hmm. a human of being sort of like a, a passenger during this yeah. part that this this uh, the fight computer is taking over that's here. neat it is it is neat then the, the fight scenes are neat i think it's i mean it's a 95 minute you know cheap thrill of a movie uh, definitely. I, I made the joke on Twitter. It was like, this is one to see while movie pass still exists. It's a good movie pass movie. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of fun, I guess. Upgrade. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, you're done. I'm yes. done. And you didn't have any TV. So no. I'll just run through, uh, but I imagine I watched the modern family finale. Okay. <clears throat> um, I don't know uh, what I, you're like point, the only person I know that is still watching. The, that. And my wife is like, when they when they canceled Last Man on Earth, sadly, and that other show, what's that show that people cared about? Brooklyn Nine Nine, yeah, something like that. It's fine. Um, and the Mick, uh, my wife was like, "Why can't someone cancel Modern Family?" <laughs> but this is the thing. She's like, hey, "Well, she's where I am. Nine years in, like we're both we're committed." Yeah. And so every time there's a Modern Family in the DVR, we're like, "There'll be like a Modern Family ad in Atlanta," and you're like. Let's get Modern Family out of the yeah. then it'll be our dessert. Yeah, let's like, earn Atlanta. <laughs> let's earn Atlanta. <laughs> um, but then, like, one time, like, she was like, I'm sick of this show. And so the next week, I, like, watched it without her. And she was like, what? No. Because we have, like, Modern Family, the time that Modern Family has been on almost exactly mirrors our relationship. Oh. So we have watched every episode of Modern Family together. Wow. From the beginning. <laughs> like, from, you know, from when it aired. Uh, when, it, when it premiered, I mean. Uh but so yeah, when they cancel nothing. it, you both will just drop dead. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. anywhere you are. <laughs> no, it would be like, like, uh, emerging from the storm cellar after a tornado. Like, <laughs> Oh, this it's on the one hand, it's wreaked havoc on our lives, <laughs> yeah. but look, everything's open. There's the world exactly. of possibilities in front of us now. Uh, okay. So there's that. And then, yeah, I also finished Silicon Valley, which you talked about, yeah. uh, last week. Um, and I, and I can't remember. I feel bad. I feel I, like my comments last week probably colored the way you no, I mean, looked I at it. You're talking about some of the, like, you know, Richard getting more, uh, what's the other uh, shrewd. Uh, yeah. But I mean, um, he's more willing to, uh, uh, he, he take, well, in good Guilfoyle's words, the left hand path. He's, yeah. he's more, more willing to be yeah. immoral. Um, so yeah, you already talked about that, so I won't dwell on that. What I will dwell on that I can't remember if you mentioned last week was that after five 
years, it finally seems like Amanda Cruz character is becoming a regular part of the cast, which she mm-hmm. technically has been a regular like yeah. since the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I think getting her to finally work for Pied Piper and then also coming up with, I mean, it's one of the funny fun, most fun things about long running ensemble TV shows. And it's, Honestly, to tie it into Modern Family, what Modern Family does well when it is working well mm-hmm. is pairing up characters you don't normally see paired up. Yeah. And so Guilfoyle and Monica together end up, ended up being a great pair. Yeah, uh, and I mean, uh, this whole season, I think they've been doing good stuff with Guilfoyle, but like they, they hinted a possible romance or just a, see, a, yeah, a, I, new, a new friendship. Yeah, I, I think <clears throat> maybe I'm just being optimistic because I saw people talk about it online as a possible romance. I hope it's not, I would like it to just be a friendship because I think that's in a way more touching, you know, cause yeah. we've already, and we've already seen, we've already gotten an idea of what Guilfoyle's romantic life is earlier in the series. Yeah. You know, like he seems, you know, kind of content with that part, you know what yeah. I mean? But he doesn't have, any friends yeah. really. And so the idea of Guilfoyle and Monica being friends no. is, I guess more enticing to me than them being a romantic couple. No. Uh, so did you laugh as hard at the one line from Jared as I did? Uh, wait, which was it? It's like, do you want to die today? Motherfucker? <laughs> like it is, I mean, it's out of nowhere. It is, it's a beautiful read. Yeah. I, I yeah. don't know. He might've improvised it. It's entirely possible he did, but it is yeah. spot on. Yeah. Apparently a lot of what Jared says is improvised. I, yeah. I've read in interviews. Um, yeah. Yeah. That really, really did make me laugh. Oh my gosh. Um, and also, I mean, they've, I don't know. I can't remember if they've ever done like a two month time jump within an episode before. I don't like think that. so. Um, and I think the biggest payoff for me was the change in Holden. <laughs> yeah. And, and what does Jared say? Like, like I just I stripped chi- away, I, I chipped away anything that wasn't Richard's assistant. And this is what's left. <laughs> and other people are, are talking. It's like, yeah, Jared really did a number on Holden. He's just completely <laughs> <So> insane. <proud. laughs> All right. Uh, okay. 